Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I am your host, Greg, as always, and today we've got a pretty full docket. I got, well, two two stories I want to talk about, and then uh, we're going to talk about, finally get to my Avengers Endgame impressions, so we're going to talk about those three things today, which Avengers could go pretty long, so I want to kind of get the ball rolling on this <clears throat> uh, pretty, pretty soon. Um, and then we're going to talk about uh, Borderlands 3 and the uh, uh, the accusations against the CEO, Randy Pitchford, now. Uh, one of them actually is kind of a, a similar follow-up to an accusation that's already out there that we did a story on a few months ago. And then we're going to talk about this article that came out just this morning um, from PC Gamer uh, by Jody McGregor uh, about the pressure to constantly update games and to keep games active instead of, you know, um, moving on. So we're going to talk about those three things. Um, but first, and, and, and obviously let's get the obvious stuff out of the way. It's Wednesday again. Um, as you all knew, uh, Wednesday was going to be, uh, the day I did the podcast today. As I said last week, if you listen, just because, uh, I had to work yesterday, we, um, Dom's girlfriend had set up this great kind of getaway weekend for him, but she wanted to be a huge surprise. And that's really difficult to do when you make the schedule a month in advance. It's hard to make a surprise. So I basically said I was off Monday, Tuesday, and that he was working. And then his girlfriend came in Monday, and I came in with her. And then basically she took him away on their little getaway, and then I worked the last two days. So it was just a nice surprise for him, get him out of the store for a couple of days, uh, she took him on a nice little break. And then, uh, but then that meant I was spo- I, on the schedule. It said I was working today and tomorrow, but I'm not, I'm off today and tomorrow. So the podcast just got bumped a day. It's how it works sometimes when you, when you try to take care of your employees and, and stuff like that and you want them to be happy. So you make sacrifices, even though this is something I love to do very consistently. <clears throat> um, you know, it's, it's, what's what you do. You handle it. Uh, so there's the, the one story I wanted to talk about before we get to all the news stories here though, is, a really interesting thing happened to me over the last two days. It actually happened yesterday, which I wouldn't have normally run into uh, if I hadn't been working. So I'll kind of I'll kind of break it down for you. But on on Monday, so Monday afternoon, I got I got a call from a regular customer of ours named Ryan, and he said, "Hey, there's this guy in Minnesota. He's trying to sell his entire collection of games. He claims it's twenty five thousand dollars worth of stuff, and he only wants like eight to ten thousand for it." And I think, well, that's not bad. I mean, I, you know, I, that's pretty good margins for me. And that's, that's, that's like starting inventory for a video game store, almost that much stuff. So, you know, I'm willing to, to take a chance. And so he passes my info along and the guy contacts me and the guy seems really nice. He's from Minnesota and he says, Hey, I got this stuff. And, and he sends me some pictures and there's some pictures, of some really cool stuff in there, but the rest of the pictures were pretty rough. I won't lie. Like the rest of the pictures were like his garage and his basement and totes and nothing was taken out of the totes. You couldn't see what was in it. Just, I mean, it, it kind of looked like a pile of junk. I'll be honest. And so I looked at it all and I thought, well, you know, um, first of all, I'm like, are you, he's like, he even said he deliver it. And I was like, holy crap, this guy's willing to drive four hours from St. Paul to, to De Pere. Okay. I guess, you know I mean? I, there's no risk involved for me there because he could bring it all in. I could take a look at it and I could pass on it. And, you know, and so really there was no risk for me. And, uh, and so we're talking a little bit though. And, and I, I, I don't want to say I tried to lowball him, but 
there comes a point where you have to take into account the condition of things. And if some, if every single game needs to be cleaned and resurfaced and fixed up and put in a new case before it can go on the shelf, that's all supplies, money, and man hours. I mean, that that's just the truth of it, you know? So if it's $20,000 worth of stuff, I'm willing to pay ten to $12,000 for stuff that's ready to go. But if it's stuff that I have to spend the next two or three weeks cleaning and preparing... Yeah, sorry, you know, that's just not that's not worth the same amount to me. And so I, I basically said I'd be in the seven to eight thousand range, which he had already like my friend who had told me he said he was willing to do eight. That that wasn't on the table for me uh, because I hadn't negotiated that yet. So I said seven to eight and I said, that's the most I could do. And he said, well, what about eight? And then maybe throw on like two hundred dollars because of the expense of the truck and coming out from Minnesota to Green Bay. And I actually thought that was fair. I, I was like, you know what? For me, not having any risk, it's basically paying $200 insurance, right? Like I paid $200 for the insurance of knowing that if he brought it here and it sucked, I could just turn it away. And so uh, I've been, I was chatting with the guy all day Monday and he's like, okay, we're packing up. And he's like, well, to rent a truck was too expensive, so I'm just going to bring the van. I'm like, okay. He's like, well, I can only fit half of it in the van. So he's gonna he was going to bring half of it drop it off, go back, get the rest and come back. I mean, so we're talking back and forth to St. Paul twice. <laughs> I mean, that would have been crazy. And I even said, I'm like, are you sure you want to do this, man? You know, and, and he was very adamant. Unfortunately, he needed money. He was, uh, he was short and, and, uh, and I'll get into that whole story. This actually is a story in itself. So maybe I will, uh, um, maybe I will, uh, tell the whole thing and that'll be part of the podcast today. Um, so, there's a lot to unpack here, so I sorry if I jump around a lot. But so basically, we're talking, and and all of a sudden it's 8:30 at night, and he goes, "Okay, we finally got the first load up. We're coming now." And I'm like, "Wait, you're coming now? You're not gonna get here till 12:31 in the morning? Like, I'm not expecting to be at the store at 12:31 in the morning." <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, you make it work though, especially when you have the opportunity to do something great, right? <clears throat> and so, um. You know, I I meet him there. It's it's a van. It's a it's a very nice guy and his fiance. They're very nice, you know. And, and he's got all this stuff. So we start unloading it. And basically, I kind of put it all in the store and locked up and went home. Uh, it was more stuff than we could fit in our back room or anything. So it was on the sales floor and it was kind of like stacked up totes. And and unfortunately, the first thing I started noticing was all the totes were dirty. You know, like even the outside of the totes just like looked like there was mud or something smeared on. Like it just didn't look good. You know, it was a, it was a really bad look. And I'm like, but I'm not going to judge it till I get inside there. You never know if someone just had left or whatever. I don't care. I'm just saying I'll dig through it. So I tell myself I'll come back at six in the morning after getting four hours of sleep. I'll come back at six in the morning and then I will go through it. Um, and so I did that. So I came in Tuesday morning and, uh, um, I kind of want to get a background for this because I feel like if I'm going to, if I'm going to upload this video, um, which I should actually, this is a, this is a, this is a good story. Hold on. So you guys are live with me as always, you know how it goes, you know how this stuff works. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what, what do I even, what do I, what do I even look up to find images of something to have in the background? Game collecting, uh, Dual size larger than ten. Um, and then you just pick something like this, and then you just go. Is that what we're doing? Uh, of course, it's a Kotaku article. Uh, just wanted to get a picture, please. <laughs> this is so difficult. Um, just want a full screen. Can we just get a full screen picture? Okay. You know what? Forget it. Just forget it. We'll just leave this picture up. Look at this. A whole bunch of game collections. 
so just a whole just a whole bunch of game collections um okay so um i'm gonna reset that a little bit we'll start over um so this is kind of a horror story in game collecting, right? And and as a store owner, uh, you're willing to take some risks because you have to go a little bit above and beyond because you have a store and because things mean a little bit more. It's not just something casual you do on the side. And so I've been talking all day Monday, like I said earlier, to this gentleman. He decides, fast forward to the story, we, we, we make the deal. He's going to bring it to me. It's two vanfuls of stuff. He claims retail value of twenty five to 30000 willing to sell for 8000 and two hundred dollars i'm like okay i'm willing to do that um if everything looks good and so we're talking he goes you, you do eight thousand like yes with the caveat that it's in good sellable condition because that's really what it comes down to at this point is it has to be in good sellable condition and and, and again as i said earlier if i have to put all this time into it it's not it's not worth it. it's not going to work and so um so as, as as we carry on, he gets to the store at 12.30 in the morning. So Tuesday morning at 12.30, right after Monday night. Uh, I go to the store. We, we unpack the whole thing. And I say, you know what? I'm not going to do anything tonight. Just come back at 6 in the morning, and I'll go through it. We open at 10, so it gave me like three, four hours to like just jam on it and look through stuff. And he had told me there was a total of about 3,000 games and 200 systems, but about half the systems didn't work. And of the 3,000 games, or there were a lot of sports games, but he said those they didn't count in the initial 3,000. I said, okay, well, then that's fine. I said, if you want, you can just keep the sports games. Don't include them. Um, but, you know, I'll take anything. That's the thing about a store, too, is that it's okay to buy a big collection because the, the the normal stuff, the average stuff, is our bread and butter. The 5 to 10 to $20 games, that's great. Like, yeah, I love getting multiple hundred dollar games but that's not really like where you make your money your money your core money is in the everyday person's uh, average collecting and sales so um so that's great and uh and, and so he gets there we unpack the first load and thankfully so so they could only fit half of it into one van load so they were going to drive back four hours pick up the rest and then come back thankfully they decided to get a hotel room for the night and then drive back in the morning and then they were going to come back tuesday night and so I get there super early Tuesday and I start ripping through the totes because I just really wanted to separate all the games because with every other collection I've bought before, it's always the same. It's not really a collection. It's more of a hoard. And, and this is no disrespect to him. He's a really nice guy. And, and, and this is how he had it after he bought it. Cause he bought it in this condition from someone else. And, and it wasn't organized though. Like every bin was a mishmash of PS2, Xbox 360, PS3, PS1. And you're like, this just like, you got to organize this stuff. If you want to have any idea what you have in there. So I was going through totes, pulling stuff out, organizing. I would say he had probably about 20 totes worth of games there. So I'm just pulling stuff out and making piles. And the first thing I noticed right away is one. There's tons of sports games in these piles. Like he had said that. Now he said it didn't count towards the original count of 3,000 games, but there's no way we're getting to 3,000 games without them. I mean, it's just it's just facts from looking at the numbers. So I'm seeing a lot of sports games, which is which is bad. The other thing is every single case. I kid you not. Every single case was sun faded. Every single case had some sort of like damage or fading or the case was broken or it was dirty. It all had that kind of, you'll know this if you've ever been in a garage or a basement and you've had stuff stored down there. It's like this, um, I call it like um, damp dust. And so it's it's almost like it was dusty for a long time, old dust, and then it got damp. And so it's almost like, it, it's like a film. It's really hard to describe, I guess, but I call it damp dust. And, and uh, every case had that on it. You know, I would pull out a few games 
you know, that were five, $10 games, those would be the ones, again, I would make my money on. And I, I flip over the PS3 games, all scratch to hell or have topside damage. Okay, back in the case, there's, this isn't, I can't, I can't sell this. PS2 games, there's a couple good PS2 games, all scratch to hell, topside damage. Okay, this game's worthless. It's not worth 50 cents, it's worth nothing. I mean, it's unsellable. And so I'm going through the totes and I go through about seven or eight totes and they're all like this. And I'm like this, I, I mean, I have to be smart and assume at this point that, um, all the totes are like this, right? I mean, why would you go through the other 13 totes or whatever if the first seven are just trash? And so it was really, it was really disappointing. And I was like, man, this sucks. And, and about, it was about eight in the morning. I'm like, you know, I might be passing on this collection, which really sucks because as, as he and I had made the deal, he drove all, he drove four hours to bring these games to me to sell. And, and it was tough because he didn't want to break it up, which I totally understand. And there was cool stuff in there. There was an inbox Japanese gold N64, a loose Japanese gold N64, a grape 64, um, a jungle green 64. There was good stuff in there. Um, but the other stuff that I had to take with it was all garbage. Like, I mean, I would have probably thrown half it away and that's not, and, and I'm somebody who does not throw stuff away. Like if, if you know my store, you've seen my back rooms, you've seen my storage locker. Like all I have is stuff because I refuse to throw it away stuff that could be fixed maybe in the future. And so anyway, so it's the morning, it's eight o'clock and I'm pretty much calling it at this point. I'm like, yeah, I think it's, um, I think, I think, I think I'm done. You know, I think why, why rip through another hour or two of stuff just to come to the same conclusion. Right. So I text him a few times. He's not answering my texts. He's supposed to be, again, he's in a hotel, you know, in Green Bay. And I'm like, Hey, you need to call me ASAP. Please, please call me, please call me. And, uh, and so he finally calls me at like nine o'clock and I, and I, I lay it out for him and I, I feel terrible because he is, seems like a really nice guy. Him and his fiance were very nice. And you could tell he was in a rough spot. He said he was desperate for money. And I later found out the reason this is all kind of what happened. And I found this out in pieces. So I'm trying to put it in the order for you all for storytelling. So apparently a week or two ago, he found a collection down in Alabama. That's what this collection was. He found this collection in Alabama said to be worth $50,000. That's what the seller told him. It was $50,000, but he would sell it for the low, low price of $16,000. If someone came down and picked it all up. So the guy who sold the game, who brought the games to me, his name's Chet. So Chet basically went down there to Alabama, brought, bought all the games for 16,000, expecting to have like one of the best flips of his lifetime. Now, at first you'd probably say, well, if you're going down there, you're spending that kind of money. Are you not looking through? Um, and I recently had something, I, I bought that collection sight unseen, um, where I looked at the totes. He had 50 plastic totes of games and I looked at it all and I was like, 50 totes times this many games. Like I didn't look through all the totes either, but you know, and, and I ended up actually not making as much money as I should have on that deal too. Like that should have been more, um, but it wasn't. And it is what it is, but I still made money, which is great, but it was, it wasn't the amazing score it should have been. So you ask yourself, well, why would you spend that kind of money? And 16,000 is a lot more than, than 8,000. So, you know, but 16,000, why would you spend that much money? And here's what he told me. He told me when he got to the house in Alabama, as he got to the house, and the guy has Nazi flags flying around the house. This guy's got Nazi flags. And he comes out and he's 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 open carrying his his um his gun. So imagine going to a house, right? And you're expecting to make this deal. A guy comes out, presumably a skinhead with uh Nazi flags all over the place and a gun, and you're supposed to tell to him, you're supposed to say to him, ah, I changed my mind. 
<laughs> I'm not going to buy any of this crap. It looks like crap. What'd you say? And then you get killed or something. Um, I don't know if that was going to happen, but like, I could see why you'd be intimidated by that. Right. And I could see how that, that would make you lead you to make a bad decision. Maybe. Right. And not that that's an excuse, but it lead you to, to make a bad decision. Um, and so, uh, he, he buys it for 16 K packs it up, takes it all the way back to Minnesota. It, he ends up going through it and realizing that there's not anywhere near $50,000 worth of stuff here, but he feels like it's still worth about 25. So he feels like he's still going to make money on the deal. Um, however, I guess to make his deal, he had to pawn a bunch of items and he had to not make his car payments or something. Cause he told me he needed this $8,000 by Thursday to get all of his stuff out of pawn and to get his car back. And that broke my heart. I'll be honest. Like that was tough. And and it is tough when someone makes a bad decision and, and a bad deal. It it doesn't help you. I I don't I don't feel any less about it. So real really quickly, something personal about me. Not to get all 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 personal about it, but um. So I am I am I am hyperactive empath. Which which if you don't know what that means, so basically you've heard of the term being em empathetic to people. It means you can put yourself in their shoes. You can understand how they feel. Well, that is me times about 10,000. And, and I'll give you an example and try to explain this because I know everybody feels bad. Like, like if something happens and you feel bad, like I'm not talking about that. So me personally, say for instance, when, um, my wife's father passed away last summer, when he passed away, I didn't just feel bad for her because she was sad. What I felt was how I would feel if my dad had passed away. So I, I, I take that feeling and I actually apply it to myself, obviously not by choice. This is just something that happens to me. And it's, it's something like, and I've always been very good with customer service and with things because I can read people really well. And because I am empath uh, empathetic and unfortunately though, it's to such an extended state that I often, um, I interpret and I take on those feelings. So long story short, I had a moment of, I know what this guy's feeling and it, it ate me up bad. Like it was like this hole just grinding in me. Like, Oh man, I know how he feels like everything. He put everything on the line for this and it, and it didn't pan out. Oh, and it, it, it was really crushing, you know? And so I was trying to, um, while dealing with those feelings, I also have to understand that I'm a business owner and, and I can't save everyone, you know? And so I have to, there has to be a point, a line in the sand that I draw and say, almost being, to me, it feels selfish. Um, to me, it feels like I'm being a bad person, but I had to draw a line in the sand and say, I, just, I can't take this. You got to go home. You got to pack it up. Don't bring the other load. Don't go get it. Just take this home. And I told him that. And he said, well, would you take it for less than 8,000? I said, honestly, I can't even say that because right now we're at the point where 90% of this stuff, in my opinion, is unsellable. 90% is unsellable. That I think that's fair to say 90% would have been non-salvageable. So, uh, I, you know, and he goes, well, you don't want to take any of it. I'm like, well, I'm like, I could cherry pick out of here. I said, but you don't want to do that because then what's left, you won't get anything for. So don't take, don't, don't let me cherry pick. That's me going against my own best interest, by the way. I should have cherry picked the hell out of that stuff. Um, and so I, I told him not to, and he said, well, well, you know, do you want to cherry pick? Then he said that to me. I said, okay, if you want, I will cherry pick. I'll pull out all the stuff and I'll make you an offer on the stuff I want. So I pulled out all the 64s, the, the, the regular ones, the special color controller ones, the import ones. There were some 64 box games, a couple Super Nintendo box games that were good. So I pulled all that stuff out. Well, in that, as we're going through, there are three Super Nintendo games that obviously pique my interest quite a bit. We've got Mega Man 7, Harvest Moon, 
and Arrow Fighters, all very expensive Super Nintendo games. Arrow Fighters, right away I pick it up, it's too heavy. I'm like, there's there's something wrong with this. It's a reproduction label and it's too heavy. Mega Man 7, it's a, it's a legit cart, so we'll try that one out. And then Harvest Moon also had a reproduction label, and it was too light. <laughs> so I'm like, this is... Well, Harvest Moon and, and Arrow Fighters are fake, and they both were fake. And, uh, and then Mega Man 7 did not work. Straight up did not work. It was a legit game, legit board. I cleaned it. Um, it does not work. So those would have been three games that would have been worth, you know, I mean, retail value on those three is roughly $600, $700, something like that. And so, you know, I would have just lost that, you know, and that, and that would have been a big jump, right? You say this collection is worth 25. Well, you've got almost a thousand dollars in just these three games, but they don't work or they're fake. And so anyway, uh, so I was going through, we're testing things out to take, I come up with about, a, uh, about 800 bucks and I'm going to tell you guys this. I'm embarrassed to admit this. Maybe I shouldn't be. I'm embarrassed to admit this. I told my wife and she was, she thought it was sweet, but I told him when I told him I wouldn't buy his games, I told him I would still honor the $200 I was going to pay him extra for the delivery fee. Because to me, he still took the time, the gas, the hotel room to bring this stuff for me to look at. So I actually gave him that $200 back. So technically this deal, I ended up not buying anything. Um, when I offered him, basically I offered him $800 for all the stuff I was going to cherry pick and then threw the $200 on top as a delivery fee. So I said $1,000 and he passed. He said, I just can't do it. And I said, I totally understand. This stuff should stay together. That was my original idea from the start. Um, my only complaint is I wish he would have not let me test things for an hour or two before just telling me he didn't want to do it, but I understand um, and so, uh, so I say, basically, I'm not taking anything. He, he turns everything down. We're not going to buy it. I still gave him the $200. I felt obligated, uh, because I was in a zero risk situation, right? Remember earlier I talked about it being like insurance. It was, it was like insurance. I paid $200 for the opportunity maybe to get a really good score and it didn't pan out. And, and I don't like losing $200, and I, I feel kind of, like I said, I'm a little embarrassed about it, a little sickened by it, but it it was fair to me. It was the right thing to do, and I've always kind of had, like, a my moral compass goes a certain way, and I follow that. I really listen to it, and it felt right to me to take care of them. So, unfortunately, while he still needed the money by Wednesday or Thursday, when he went home Tuesday, he wasn't out anything. He got his money back for driving all the way back and forth. He just had to try to sell it again. Okay, um, but I couldn't stop thinking about it, and that's where my hyper... Um, empathy came back in and I just, I would, I, I closed my eyes. Last, I kid you not. This is a true story. Just so you know, like more about me personally, like this is how personally I take things and, and probably too personally. I, I know that, but I was sitting on the couch. I'm trying to unwind. It was a very long day. Got very little sleep before. And I'm off, actually, I'm off work today and tomorrow. And if you, if you didn't listen to the podcast last week, I worked nine out of the last 10 days. I had just a hell week. Um, and so I, I'm like, I'm finally trying to unwind. I get home and every time I close my eyes, I see him like upset that he can't sell his games and that he made this bad deal. And it was breaking my heart over and over again. It's unbelievable. And I know a lot of people listening to this might just be like, well, it's not your fault, Greg. You know what I'm like? And that's not what it's about. And that's, what's weird about the hyper empathy thing is it's, I'm not, I don't think it's my fault. I'm not, I'm not guilty at all about anything I did wrong. I, I treat him very fairly and I was very polite and nice and very, very good to him. But I felt what he was feeling. And so when I felt what he was feeling, it, 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 it broke me to be quite honest. It was very difficult and I've never really made a bad deal like that before, but I could tell you what I'd feel like if I did. And I know that feeling and that's the feeling he had. And that's the feeling I basically got put on me and I couldn't sleep very well last night. Um, 
and, and yeah, and, and then uh, this morning, though, I woke up to a text message from him saying, hey, I found someone to buy everything locally here for 7700 And I was like, awesome. I, I feel bad for whoever's buying it because I think there's some real trouble there, but awesome for him if, he, if he's out of trouble. Hopefully the other guy, maybe the other person knows how to repair the systems and they want to go through all the hassle, but n not me and... So I felt better. So that absolved me of my my um, my bad feelings, which is nice. So I can actually maybe enjoy my day off today and tomorrow. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have a beer at like noon today. I'm telling you, I'm gonna like go sit on the deck and just have a beer at noon. <laughs> I don't even care. I don't even care. I am not stressing today, baby. I'm not stressing. No time constraints. No BS. Just gotta go into the store, talk to Dom a little bit today, and that's it. Nothing crazy. Um. So anyway, so so I guess technically the story worked out good for everyone involved, but, but what an adventure, you know, and these game, these game, being a game store owner is like a new adventure every day. And, and I know a lot of people probably been like, man, if you saw these pictures though, and it looked like crap, why didn't you just pass on it? And now that's a fair point because that's what my, uh, my, my number one manager, David said, <laughs> he said, why he said, it looks like junk to me. And I'm like, but the possibilities, <laughs> the possibilities, <laughs> well, the possibilities were shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I got totally, and, and, and here's the thing though. It's not like I rented a truck, drove all the way to Minnesota, started packing it up, got it home and realized this, right? So I realized that this was not for me before it was too much of a hassle. Yeah, I had to stay late one night. I came in early another day. That's fine. But digging through totes is fun and exciting. You never know what's coming up. Like there was there was some fun stuff to be had here, Um, but it was nice when he packed everything up. Um, And then the last part of the story, um, he was obviously upset when we couldn't take anything and he, he, when he refused my offer. Well, so let me, let me back it up a little bit. So he, he went outside cause he was upset and his fiance was still in the store and I don't blame him for this. It was, it was a, it was a tough moment for him and he just wanted to be alone. And I, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> Sometimes you just want to wallow. It's okay. And so he's, uh, He's outside. She comes back in and says, he doesn't want to do the $1,000. I'm like, totally cool. Like, I couldn't stress enough. That was my idea. Don't take it. Don't do it. Um, and uh, and so they didn't. Uh, and so they walk out, though. And so we start packing up everything. He's sitting in the car by himself while we're packing up the car. So his fiance and I packed up the entire van while he kind of sat and stewed a little bit in the front seat. He didn't talk to me. He didn't say anything. I mean, he was just, he was he was upset. And so when everything was all packed up, I gave her the $200 and said, you know, I think this is fair. I think this is the right thing to do. You guys got a hotel and drove up here and stayed, you know, now you have gas to get back and you're fine and you're not out anything except one day. You know, all it really was, was their time, I guess. And, um, so, uh, so then as she's about to leave, I said, Hey, do you think I should just pop out and, and, um, and say goodbye to Chet or, you know, should I just leave it alone? Cause I didn't want to make him mad. I didn't want to look like, I, I didn't know if he thought I was the bad guy either, you know, and I'm not trying to be a jerk. You know, if, if, if he doesn't want to talk to me, he doesn't want to talk to me. It's fine. And she goes, well, I don't know. He just gets in these moods sometimes I'm like no problem. Hey, no problem. He can leave. And I'm, I, I understand it was a deal that didn't go. They drove up. I, no problem. No problem. And so he, she walks out and he actually ended up coming in though. And I was, I was pretty, pretty, um, surprised by that, but, but very proud. And so then he, he came in and, and said, Hey man, you know, I just wanted to say sorry about that. I just, it's real. I'm really upset about how this all worked out. And I said, I can totally understand. I said, that other guy ripped you off bad. Um, obviously you have to take some responsibility of your own, but, but 
he ripped you off and, and you trusted somebody to be honest with you about total number of items and total worth of items. And they lied to you. And, uh, so, so he shook my hand though. And he's like, Hey man, you know, blah, blah. And I'll, I'll talk to you later. And, uh, and, and so he did and he took off and, uh, but that was nice because as, although it would have been nice if he helped us load the truck, <laughs> but it was still nice. And, um, and, and I did feel bad for him and that's like his, I, his face that he had when he left though is burned into my memory. And, uh, and, and that's what I was seeing last night when I would close my eyes and I was just like, man, this is, this is BS. Why is my, why won't my brain shut off? Why am I thinking about this? You know? And again, I didn't think it was my fault. I didn't think I did anything wrong. It's just, I could relate to the situation he was in. And, uh, and, and it hurt really bad. So, uh, but yeah, so that's just the adventures in game hunting. You know, it happens sometimes like that, uh, where you have a, a deal that doesn't go, but you meet some nice people, you meet some interesting people. Um, and yeah, I don't know. You, you, it, 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 it could have been the score of a lifetime. It wasn't, but it could have been. Uh, hey, if you like these videos, feel free to, uh, you know, uh, like, subscribe, and then, of course, hit the notifications button if you're uh, interested in getting uh, news about our content as it comes out. So, all right, so now we're, t I wasn't going to turn that into a story originally. I was just going to tell you guys about it, but I might as well make a YouTube video out of it because why, why not? You know, I mean, all that matters is YouTube. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's my life. Uh, that's so not true. Um, okay, so you know what? I might save my... We're already 30 minutes in. I might save my Avengers Endgame for uh, for next week. How about that? What do you think about that, Jack? Uh, and then we have... So we have two stories left. We'll save, let's save Endgame. I do have a user question, and I'm moron, and I I'm forgot to pick out my family, game of the week. And I want to compare notes with uh, the experts. But I will... I hate to miss out on something. I won't. FOMO. <laughs> we see a lot of that. Uh, I will pick out the game. And show you what's possible. And, uh, it's amazing. Darn it. Great, <laughs> it's gonna be one of those sort of days where I have to look at the wall for 20 minutes. So you know, just what if just, I need some just help? deal with it. No worries. Yeah. We'll make sure. Oh, what's this noise? I hate when they start auto-playing videos. It kills me. You guys should wear suits some cabs, y'all. Blue ones, right? Yeah, yeah. Get it? <laughs> yeah, because of the the color. Yeah. And the whole thing. Best Buy blue. <laughs> where is? My God, I hate. Trailer. I, hate, I was hate, worried hate, that auto playing. It just looks more Borderlands. That it wasn't gonna be that much different, but. Sorry about this, podcast listeners, y'all. This is this is unprofessional. This is a new level of unprofessionalism, <laughs> which we usually sink to at least every episode. <laughs> okay, so um, so let's let's hit this uh, Borderlands three story because there's a whole bunch going on here. I want to I want to hit it and hit it hard. All right, so next up on the podcast today, we're talking about Borderlands three, which looks incredible. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Of course not. Let's talk about Randy Pitchford and, and his obnoxiousness and what's wrong with him all the time and why he can't do seemingly not be a tool bag uh, every day of the week. So there's a, there's a lot going on, and I'm not even going to talk about the things. Uh, there were things uh, last week about uh, Game Informer. Basically, okay, long story short, they revealed Borderlands 3. Randy Pitchford comes out and says, hey, you know, there's no microtransactions, none of that free-to-play bullcrap. And then Game Informer says, well... There are microtransactions, they're cosmetic, but, you know, this is to clear up the situation. Randy Pitchford fires back on Twitter, oh, uh, that's, a, that's a BS clickbait headline, blah, and he gets all mad, right? <laughs> so, so Randy Pitchford is the head of Gearbox, he's CEO. He's also the dude that uh, loves magic, um, <laughs> and... Uh, which is fine, not, not anybody who likes magic, just saying. Uh, he loves magic, and uh, and we did a story a few months ago, actually, right, that a former lawyer was suing him 
uh, things about like um, weird weird things about like oh uh, the the magic parties they have and like these weird eyes wide shut naked magic parties and stuff. And there was like this rumor that uh, that like he had taken a twelve million dollar bonus from two K and put it in his own account instead of the two K account. Whatever you know. So there was all this stuff. Randy Pitchford also very notoriously lied about alien colonial marines back in the day, uh, and we all know that uh, how that how that all ended up. Anyway, that's not what we're even here to talk about today. So today, um, we have news that uh, David Eddings, who was the original voice actor for Claptrap in the Borderlands games, is not returning for Borderlands Three, which we already knew. Uh, he had he had said he had said as much. Um, let's see if he, his actual tweet. Uh, so yeah, well we'll get to it. Sorry, there's there's a lot here to unpack. Um, so uh, he he had basically said he isn't returning for Borderlands Three. Let's see if I can pop this up real quick. Um, you better not. You better stay muted. <laughs> um, okay. Um, Eddings himself confirmed on Twitter that he won't reply uh, reprise his role as Claptrap in Borderlands Three after the game's big reveal event last week. Eddings said it came down to a matter of payment. Get out of here. <laughs> Eddings voiced Claptrap, a wisecracking, sarcastic robot, in all the previous Borderlands games. When he was an employee of Gearbox, he reportedly did not receive a fee beyond his normal salary to do this when he was working at the studio. Gearbox says this kind of arrangement is normal. Uh, so David Edding said, no, for the first time, I insisted on getting paid for my performance, and all of a sudden, they couldn't afford me. Now, I'm not telling them how to run their business, but maybe next time they should put the $12 million payment from 2K in the Gearbox account instead. Just saying. What? So that's kind of a wild callback. That's the... Um that's palpable. That's the callback to the lawyer who's making the same accusation. Interesting. So now we don't just have a disgruntled lawyer making this accusation from a few months ago. Now we have a disgruntled voice actor employee also making the same accusation. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So uh, he was a decade plus executive veteran at Gearbox before he left in 2017 to take a job at Rooster Teeth. In his tweet about Borderlands 3, Edding said he insisted that he be paid, unlike in previous games where he reportedly recorded lines for no extra remuneration. So really quickly about that, though. Um, that is normal, actually. So say, for instance, um, this GameStop's a good example. Why not? We always use GameStop for everything. GameStop had something called GameStop TV. And they would, originally they had hosts, but after a while they had someone who was a store manager. And he would do the GameStop TV stuff. Now, I don't know if he was paid extra, but a lot of companies will do this. If you do something extracurricular for the company like that, like media-wise, like a commercial or something like that, oftentimes you're not getting paid extra. They just want to open up to their employees first. And it's a way for them to save money, of course. Um, you know, it's 2K being a little frugal, but it's it's fine. I don't, I don't think that's actually that weird. So I just wanted to say that. So him not being paid when he was an employee there is actually pretty normal. So I don't, I don't want to get too hung up on that. So this is what he says. So this, unfortunately... Um, update, David Eddings, a former Claptrap voice actor, engaged in his dispute with Gearbox as Randy Pitchford has now responded. So, basically, Randy Pitchford said... I know, I hate this sort of stuff. Uh, where is it, what Randy Pitchford said? Um, Mr. Eddings was paid very handsomely during his employment. After his employment, he made a relatively generous offer to reprise the role. Unfortunately, or excuse me, after his employment, he was made a relatively generous offer to reprise the role. Unfortunately, he turned that opportunity down. That's what Randy said. 
Um, and then David went on to say, nah, man, Gearbox is full of amazingly talented game developers. It's not fair to blame the employees for the actions of one person. Be kind. They're the ones forced to cringe and bear it every time the boss shoots himself in the foot. Re referencing um, <laughs> Randy Pitchford. Um, so, and Randy Pitchford uh, comes out calling him bitter and disgruntled. Uh, so, let me see here. Uh, where do, I want to get the headline pulled out of here. Um, okay. Uh, yes. Regarding the claptrap controversy, Pitchford himself commented on Twitter. He said Eddings is bitter and disgruntled about his departure from Gearbox. Pitchford said Eddings was terminated, but did not discuss the specifics surrounding his departure. Hmm. Uh, Pitchford added that Gearbox offered Eddings twice the standard union voice actor rate to return for Borderlands 3, but he refused. Quote, I don't want him to do it unless he wants to do it, as motivation affects performance, Pitchford said. So let's unpack that real quick. I totally agree with that, actually. And so they offered him twice the standard union voice actor rate, which who knows what that is. It's probably not very good still. But um, basically... Uh, Eddings said he he would do Borderlands 3 for free, but wanted royalty rights from Borderlands 1 and 2 and money paid that he was owed for royalties on those games. You're like, well, okay. So is it not just money he thinks he's owed or is it money he actually was owed and it's in dispute? So there's some stuff going on here. And then, uh, let's see, and then where was the... Uh... Yes, okay, so then here here's, here's where then it, it came around, right? So after that happens... So after Randy Pitchford says that, um, then that's when Eddings decides to, you know, basically come back. And he responds. Let me see if I can find the response here. The full story here. Let's do it. Let's click some links, y'all. And then have this pop-up pop-up because that's what pop-ups do. Um, so, uh, so here he goes. So this is where... This is where it continues. Quote, I was fine moving on after Gearbox, he said, but when my former boss starts mouthing off about various aspects of my employment, including how highly compensated I was and how generous he is, I feel obligated to correct the record. In the Twitter thread, Edding said he had mixed feelings when Gearbox asked him asked him in 2018 if he would come back to voice Claptrap for Borderlands 3. He said he was willing to put differences aside and do something cool for Borderlands fans with my friends at Gearbox. Eddings said he offered to do the Borderlands 3 voice work for free in exchange for Gearbox paying him past royalties for his work doing the voice of Claptrap in the previous Borderlands titles. As reported previously, Eddings did the voice work for Claptrap on Borderlands 1 and 2 when he was an employee at Gearbox, so he did not draw any additional payment. Eddings also brought up, and this is a key here, Eddings also brought up a significant claim against against Pitchford, that Pitchford assaulted him in 2017. Eddings said Pitchford, quote, physically assaulted me, end quote, in a hotel lobby during GDC 2017. The alleged misconduct reportedly took place at the Marriott Marquis Hotel in downtown San Francisco. The situation surrounding the alleged assault is unclear, and Eddings did not say if he filed a police report. Whatever the case, Eddings said he offered to do the voice work for Claptrap in Borderlands 3 if Gearbox gave him the requested back pay and an apology for the reported assault. It appears that didn't happen. Quote, personally, I think Randy's been on the tilt the last few years. He's not the victim he portrays himself to be. I even blocked him a couple years ago for stalking me on social media. Enough is enough, end quote. 
Eddings said. He went on to mention again the reported $12 million that Pitchford is alleged in a lawsuit to have received as a secret bonus. Now, if you don't remember from that story, apparently 2K paid like a milestone bonus or some extra bonus by for something for Borderlands, and Pitchford pocketed it. The whole thing. Did not give it out to the studio. Uh, Pitchford siphoned away from the employee royalty pool, Eddings added, quote, Gearbox employees are asked to take lower salaries with the promise of royalty shares. So that's like a benefit, they say. And then, he's, and then he takes it. Uh, 2K Games, the publisher of Borderlands 3, has not publicly commented on the lawsuit in question, which was filed by a former Gearbox lawyer at the tail end of 2018. 2K Games is owned by Take-Two Interactive, which handles the legal matters for its subsidiaries. So, <laughs> okay, so here's my thoughts on this, right? So, at first you're like, well, what a nice guy. All he wants is an apology for being assaulted and money for the old games and he'll come back. Now there's a part of me that sees in my head that maybe it's something more along the lines of this went unnoticed and for him to demand a public apology would mean that this assault story would come to light. It could be his way of trying to screw over Pitchford. Not that Pitchford doesn't seem like the kind of guy that deserves a good screwing over occasionally, but I could see it. Um, and so Oh, man, I don't know. There's so much here, but every story that comes out, Randy Pitchford just looks like a bigger and bigger pile of garbage. And I don't know him personally. I've never talked to him. I've had some interactions on Twitter. He seems like he's passionate about games, but I don't know. Maybe he just needs someone to handle his PR for him. Like, just just talk to someone else. I don't know. But but this is not good. And if he did assault someone, uh, I would hope that there was a police report filed. And I would hope that... Uh, you know, that this person did who did work gets compensated appropriately. But when you work for a company and do extra work or a job outside of your of your expertise or outside of your normal job, you don't get paid more for that usually. I'm sorry, just kinda how it works, you know. The time he was supposed to be working on something else, he was probably in the studio doing that. So it was him getting paid to be there working. It didn't really matter what job he was doing. So I understand that. And we shouldn't be digging on them for not not paying him for Borderlands one and two. Um, however, the assault thing is a very serious charge. And of course, another person now alleging that $12 million, uh, that he received as a secret bonus and did not share with his other employees. Very interesting stuff. So I'm very curious to see where this all goes. There are people calling for like Pitchford to be removed or to get fired, but I'm pretty sure that like, he's like the sole, he's, he's like a majority stakeholder, I think in Gearbox. So I don't, I don't think that's really going to happen. Not that take two couldn't maybe remove him as CEO or something. But, you know, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. Hey, and by the way, if you like our content, if you want to like, subscribe, and hit that notifications button, uh, it helps us out so you can see more content from us uh, in your feed. And yes, I know that's shameless plugging at the end of my videos. It's fine. Just just deal with it, y'all. Just deal with it, y'all. Don't, don't come at me. You know, I'm trying to make that fat YouTube cash, you know? You know? Oh, yeah, I had two more stories, actually. I will talk about both these because there's a I forgot about the Riot Games walkout and then the constant pressure to update games. So uh, we're going to talk about the next story. We're going to talk about um, employees at Riot who work on uh, League of Legends. They they had a, a walkout and 150 employees walked out. That's pretty cool. So here we go. We're going to start the story. All right, next up on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Riot Games and League of Legends and uh, how just on Monday... 150 Riot employees walked out in protest over forced arbitration and sexist culture. So I'm going to kind of read some of the story here. Um, better make sure I mute this site because these these ads always popping up. Um, okay, 
so here, here the story goes as this quote, we're asking the forced arbitration be ended for all past, current and future riot employees, including contractors and current litigation, said Jocelyn Monahan, a social listening strategist at Riot in an interview with Kotaku standing in front of a sign reading rioters unplugged a play on riots internal riot unplugged meetings Monahan would later tell her assembled colleagues through a megaphone asking to feel safe does not make you entitled Monahan had one major point she hoped to get across to her colleagues even though she chose to stay in their desks and uh, even though they chose to stay at their desk continue working we we are what makes riot great I want us to feel solidarity in connection with each other I want us to feel connected I want us to feel like our voices are heard and heard in a way that matters. Colleagues took turns speaking through the megaphone with several admitting that they were scared to participate and labeled anti-riot, said one. Quote, I was worried. I was like, what if I go up and nobody shows up? End quote. I was a little less worried about that now. Others are showing their support with the riot walkout hashtag, which hundreds have been tweeting. Today's protest appears to be first labor-related walkout for a large game studio like Riot. The company's management is allowing its employees to participate and has urged managers to be accommodating and understanding. In an email to Kotaku this morning, a Riot representative added, We respect rioters who choose to walk out today and will not tolerate retaliation of any kind as a result of participating or not participating. Uh, in the months since Kotaku's investigation uncovering endemic sexism at Riot Games, five current or former employees sued the company, in part for violating California's Equal Pay Act. Last week, Riot filed a motion to force two of these current employees into arbitration, an extra-legal forum where a suit does not go in front of a jury. So a little bit about arbitration. So if you don't know, typically something like arbitration is, say when I was working at GameStop, I had an arbitration clause in my contract that said if something happened, we had to try to work out an arbitration first. I couldn't just go and sue them one day. And it's it's a protective practice for businesses. It's very common. And arbitration isn't super one-sided or anything either. It usually is an external company that's brought in. A lot of it is to keep things quiet because if you handle thing in arbitration, it doesn't go like there's a lot of there's a lot of intricacies to it to protect businesses and to protect things. And they like to do that. And sometimes it helps you if you go to arbitration, you don't have to, like, I would still get a lawyer to go to arbitration. I would get an arbitration lawyer, but you may not have to fight like a lengthy court battle, do all these things. Arbitration is meant to be a faster, smoother way of handling issues. So when part of what they're asking for is that they waive it for all current and future litigation, that's that's tough to do, especially because they might be in different stages of this litigation. So they might, even if they wanted to, they might not be able to end this arbitration clause. Um, but they have, Riot has said that they're going to be, uh, all future employees will be able to become exempt from the arbitration clause, which seems totally normal to me. Um, and, uh, and the, I mean, they said that there's no retaliation and they're encouraging their managers to be willing. I mean, that makes sense to me. Um, it's just good press though. They have to do that. There's literally nothing else Riot can do here. They were put into a corner and they have to let this all happen because they allowed the terrible work environment to happen first. And so this is now them saying, we, uh, <laughs> this is now them saying like, we're in a corner. We just have to basically just put our hands up and be like, yes, we'll do, we'll do it. We'll do anything. Just please just we're sorry we screwed up we'll fix it and uh so there's an update to the story toward the end of the walkout monahan made an announcement saying that if riot management doesn't make any sort of commitment on forced arbitration by may 16th 
the date of the next Riot Unplugged meeting, she and others involved with the walkout will take further action. Another walkout organizer, Riot writer Indu Reddy, was not available to delve into specifics of what that will mean, but she told Kotaku that we do have plans, and we do have days that we're planning, and we do have commitments that we have responses for. Uh, so... As far as the walkout's concerned, I think this is unfortunately one of the only ways you can voice uh, in a part of a big company. This is one of the only ways you can do it. And so I, I have no problem with stuff like this. I think it is, um, it, it's a risk, obviously, because like like some of the employees were concerned that maybe other people wouldn't do it. Not every employee did do it, but a lot did. So that's really impressive because that makes them wake up. They have, they, they can't, you can't put that to bed. You can't forget that. And so I'm very glad that they did it. I think for the reason they're doing it is also good. Um, I, I think that there are certain issues right now. One of the big things is crunch and, and you know, um, workers getting paid $12 an hour to be contract, all this kind of stuff we've talked about before with NetherRealm and, and, and um, Rockstar and all this other stuff. You know, I feel like if you don't like how the company works, you, you should leave. But I don't think that's a reason to have a walkout and change things. However, this is different. This is talking about arbitration because basically they are trying to bury the the sexism and the, and the bad claims against them. So I think that is fair. Even though I don't think it's the arbitration clause, it's really what they should be staging the walkout on. I think the, the walkout should be more aimed towards the the terrible work environment that was allowed to fester there. And, and, and Riot is working on it. Like this is all moving towards positive things. Um, but I think walkouts are fine. And I, I feel like the reason they're doing it seems justified. And that's one way you can make a company stand up and take notice. And this is, you know, and these things are often chain reactions. And so if you have something at Rockstar and you want to make a difference there, while you just watch the employees at Riot walk out, you could get everyone at Rockstar to do a walkout. Now, again, there's risk involved in that. If you start trying to pass word around and then you've got that that one person who's always like kissing the boss's ass who's going to turn on you and tell on you. Well, and it, that could blow up in your face. But if you really are passionate about what you believe in, that should be a risk that you're willing to take. And uh, of course, if you uh, if you haven't, like, subscribe, uh, and hit that notifications button so you can see more content just like this. So this is the first week I've ever tried doing that. And now that I've done it three times, I feel like it's annoying. So I'm not sure if I'll keep doing it. I'll probably keep doing it for this week, but I don't think I'm going to do it anymore. It feels like I'm just pandering. Uh, it'll be different when I'm not doing it three times in a, in a half hour. But um, okay. So then lastly on the podcast, the story we want to talk about was um, so PC Gamer came out with a story 18 hours ago, an article by Jody, Jody McGregor. Uh, the pressure to constantly update games is pushing the industry to a breaking point. That's a pretty good headline, I suppose. Um, so, uh, well, all right. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to prep it for the, for the video and then we'll, we'll rock and roll. All right. And finally on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about once again, crunch. <laughs> I feel like we talk about this all the time, but I think when there are articles that come out, there are sometimes instances when you want to um, to look at it again. And so this was a headline. This story, this was an article written in PC Gamer by Jody McGregor 18 hours ago. The headline, the pressure to constantly update games is pushing the industry to a breaking point. I like that headline. It is a good headline. Uh, here's a sobering thought. The article starts, the EA spouse revelation came to light 15 years ago. And here's a recap of that. In 2004, the partner of an EA employee, 2004, a partner of an EA employee wrote about the conditions her significant other, 
was working under during a particularly brutal crunch period. He worked 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., 13 hours a day for y'all math peoples, seven days a week, with the occasional Saturday evening off for good behavior. No overtime pay or other compensation, no deadline for when this would end. He was not alone, and subsequently others spoke out about their similar situations. There were class action lawsuits, which EA chose to settle for millions of dollars. In the 15 years since, the conversation about crunch in the game industry has spread beyond whisper networks and isolated exposés, becoming much more common. Developers have been emboldened to speak out about conditions at other employers, from Rockstar to Telltale to NetherRealm, like we were talking about earlier. But crunch remains a serious problem. Recently, another story has become intertwined with crunch. Developers aren't just being worked into the ground to hit a developer milestone or a release date. Because of many games, that's just the starting line. Living games demand a constant stream of content and only constant work can deliver it. And so this is why this, this headline jumped out to me. It's not just another complaining about crunch article. But what this is saying is the way games are shifting, the games as a service is a toss. Um, looter shooters, you know, this is kind of the, the terms we're throwing around. So not only do they have to put years of work into the game, when the game launches, they don't just do a quick patch or two from the months from the game when the game went gold, and then they get to take vacations and relax. Games like Destiny, Anthem, Division, these are games that need 100, even Fortnite, um, Apex Legends. These are games that require consistent updates and consistent deadlines for the, un, for the foreseeable future. So this isn't the, it's, it's very weird. Like this isn't, this isn't crunch as you'd normally expect it, which is, oh man, you know, for that month or two before the game comes out, work is hell. This is for the month or two before the game comes out, then the month or two after to fix all the bugs. And then the months after while you're getting that first, ex like every expansion that comes out is basically like another crunch period of when you'd have to have that. So now I'm not. I, uh, if you've seen my videos before, when I talk about crunch, I'm not a big, like, uh, oh, crunch is the devil. Everyone should get, you know, crunch. And, and let me just quickly, in case you don't know, crunch is the business practice, the, the, the practice of having to work extra hours to finish a project. It happens. It happens in every business. You could argue that crunch could be applied to bartenders working on Super Bowl Sunday or restaurant people working on Valentine's Day or uh, retail workers working on Black Friday. That's like their crunch period. We all have our moments. And that's why like crunch as a general term, I don't really have an issue with. Um, like I was telling a story earlier in the podcast about that game collection I was going to buy. Well, I had to crunch. I had to crunch like for the, the two weeks before my sale, I, when I got those totes back in February, I, I worked a whole like two weeks on a day off. And then I came in at 1230 in the morning to meet this guy from Minnesota. Like we all have that in every job you have, you have like your busy time and you have your period of having to commit extra work. It's just how it goes. Um, now, however, now with that being said, however, when it applies to this, this I don't like. And and it's not even that I have a problem with games as a service, but we have to look at that. And studios are going to have to get very dynamic with how they're rotating talent in and out to keep these things going 24-7 because you will burn these people out. If you have a game that's constantly being updated and constantly under pressure to have a new update or a new, new content coming out, like look at all these free-to-play games or the looter shooters. They come out for 60 bucks. They're they're very devoid of endgame content, so it's a mad rush to get the player as much content as possible. But how do you do that without being in a perpetual state of crunch? And that is not good. So there has to be a plan for all that. Let's get this guy off the screen. So there has to be a, there has to be a plan for that. 
And what that is, I don't know. But this was the interesting part about this article. So it goes on to say, large video game studios often work on a similar model to the film industry, with contract workers hired for the latest project and then let go at its completion. Employment agency Target CW has said that 10 to 15% of staff in the creative departments of game publishers and contractors. And that number goes up every year. A core of permanent staff stays on and can start taking vacation days once a project's complete, should they be lucky enough to earn them. But a significant number of contractors are overworked without benefits or paid time off. When they inevitably burn out as a result is the constant churn as skilled workers leave the industry and are replaced by a younger generation, many of whom will burn out in the same way. And that is kind of the problem, though, in an industry where you always have someone below you. Uh, who wants the job and who's hungry for it. They're coming for you. And it, it really sucks because you're very expendable. And I mean, and again, I know I always make a lot of GameStop references, but it's it's mostly the history I have and I can relate stories to that. So for instance, when I left GameStop, um, I had worked there 11 years. I was one of the highest paid managers in the district. I was making almost as much as my district manager was making. So eventually I was going to get a pay freeze because they're like, well, you've, you're outside the bracket. You can't make any more money. And... So when I left, they, they couldn't even make me an offer to stay. Not that I would have taken it, to be fair. But they couldn't have made me an offer because they, in their head, they thought, well, we can let this guy go and hire someone for almost half what he makes or, or around half, just over half, and, and save that money. And when I had employees who didn't like something they were doing, I'm sorry, but I had an application drawer full of 300 applications of people who were dying to work at GameStop. So anytime I wanted to, I could just, find a new employee. Now, would they be as good as the person who left? That's the debatable part, right? That's what they're even mentioning here. But that's why you don't have to worry about losing them when you have 300 people waiting in the wings to be potential replacements. And so uh, what's changed is that AAA games can no longer be patched by a skeleton staff after their release. Nowadays, players demand big updates and games have trained them to expect those updates to be frequent. Very accurate. First, there was season passes and limited duration events, and now live games are so permanently in a state of development, there's no breather just because the game shipped. And that even goes to the whole um, early access thing. Like, we're, we're technically playing these games before they're finished. So they're taking the two years to work on it, but then they have to spend another year finishing it, and then everything after that's the additional content that we paid for with season passes and stuff like that. Um, in an extreme example, there's Fortnite, which receives weekly patches and fortnightly updates. A recent investigation published by Polygon revealed the consequences of that. Employees working 70-hour or even 100-hour weeks. The biggest problem is that we're patching all the time, one employee said. If something goes wrong in one of the regular updates, like a weapon breaking... There's no option to take time fixing it. It has to be fixed immediately, they said. And all the while, we're still working on the next week's patch. It's brutal. End quote. So again, like I, I, I won't shed a tear when someone says, man, I had to work a 60, 70 hour work week. Like it sucked. I had to hunker down and do it. I'm not, I, I, that's just how work goes sometimes. We've all had to put extra time in at work. If it's every week, um, if it's more than 30 to 60 days of something like that, that's when it's absolutely unacceptable. And oftentimes, I can't speak for this studio. Every studio is different. Oftentimes, these, these employees are salaried. And it depends the state you're in. Um, so now, uh, I want to say now it, it changed. There was some law, I think, that um, President Obama had put into into place where you can't just be a salaried man. Like salaried managers or salaried full-time employees get... Oh, what is it? Damn it, I know this. But something about salaried employees... Um, still have to get paid overtime over 40 hours. 
And when I worked there, that wasn't how it was. So I would put weeks in at GameStop where, and this was the weird thing about there, I'd be working and another manager would be sick or on vacation. They're like, hey, can you cover this store? He needs help. Or can you loan an employee to that store? And then you work an extra day at your store? And I'm like, sure, I guess. And so I'd work 55, 60 hours in a week and get no extra money. And it was just the expectation. Now that's GameStop and their policies and that were pretty terrible compared to the rest of the real world, but that's how it worked. And so... Yeah, you know, really, really kind of stuff. And so frustrating, I guess I would say. Um, And so doing that once or twice to me is your job. And we should make certain sacrifices, especially if we want to. And if you don't want to, that's fine. You can quit and go find a different job. But when that becomes a never ending cycle, like, yes, if there's people working 70 to 100 hours a week, every week on Fortnite, and they're not ever getting less than that, that's crazy. And even if they are being compensated for it, when I originally opened my store, I was going to be open seven days a week and I was the only employee. I couldn't even do that. I couldn't work that many hours only because like you didn't even have time to do laundry. <laughs> like like you could come to work stinking because you couldn't clean your clothes. It's cr- crazy stuff like that. And that was, and when I opened my store, I had nothing else going on. I had no family. Um, it was just me by myself. Obviously I had friends to hang out with and stuff, but it, it wasn't like, you know, it was whatever. Um, and so that I thought it was an interesting take because it's not as simple as saying, oh, there's crunch for a month or two to get the game out on time. Now it's there's a crunch to get a patch out every week. I mean, does Fortnite need a patch every week? I mean, I know it's losing popularity and it, you know every, every game that comes out chips away at the user base a little bit, but ugh, man, it's just it's just wild. So we'll we'll see, but I and I don't really have much else to say about this. It's not like a story that has a beginning and an end. It was just an interesting article about it. And then someone brought up something really interesting, um, on the tweet about this. And it was saying something about how indie games suffer the same thing. And I thought indie games, why would indie games suffer the same thing when they, you know, they, their studios are meant to be smaller and like easier. The games are simpler usually. And they said that basically because of AAA games doing this, the expectation of indie games is now the same. If you don't have an update very frequently, they'll think that you've abandoned the game on steam and they'll stop playing or they'll stop watching. And so even indie devs are, are into this constant push of, we have to get all this content out and all this content out. So an interesting predicament in the industry. And I don't know how it changes. I really don't. And I, and I don't, I don't think there'll ever be times where you never work extra, but this idea of like, it almost, it almost has to be us changing as consumers, right? Because we have to, we have to take a stand and say, we, we will put up with not getting weekly updates. Give us, give us monthly update and then let your employees have normal time off. But often, as you see with articles like this, people often will stick up for developers until it, until it clashes with them. And once it clashes with what they want, then the developer is the bad guy. And so, you know, we're pretty selfish consumers as gamers. So uh, I don't see how this ever gets fixed unless we, uh, as the consumer, decide that we're not okay with the employees being treated this way. I don't know, but I just don't see that happening anytime soon. And hey, if you like this content, don't forget to like, subscribe, Share if you can. And of course, uh, hit the notifications button. You can see all of our videos popping up in your feed. All right, so that's it for the story today. So yeah, I didn't have time to hit uh, to hit Avengers because I'm going to need like a half hour for that. So let's we'll talk about that later. So I do have a user question. Um, let me bring it up here. I'm woefully unprepared. Um, okay, here we go. So this listener question comes in. 
Uh, I like this one too. So what do you think are the qualities that would solidify a game as a classic in your eyes? What are the things that make you keep coming back to those games that you play throughout the years over and over again? Well, um, what makes a game a classic? I think it's kind of the first part of that question is almost answered in the second one, right? So what makes a game classic, in my opinion, is its ability to survive time. What makes a game classic is the the ability, the fact that it's timeless. And so every time you play the game, it's as good as it was the first time you played it. So sometimes that, that and that could be everything. To me, it's graphically. Um, some games on PS1 are really rough to look at and you can get by it sometimes and sometimes you can't. Like sometimes it's just really, they're ugly, man. The original Twisted Metal 1 and 2, they ugly. Um, hard to play. Control is kind of ass. Um, it happens. But so it's longevity. What makes a game last long? Now that's really the second part of the question, right? So what makes a game timeless? One, always graphics. And that's why I think the Super Nintendo era is so important is because the Super Nintendo era had it was kind of like the heyday of quality sprites, that and early PS1 sprites when they were still doing sprites. Most people PS1 switched to 3D, but the sprite games on the 32-bit era were incredible, like Symphony of the Night, obviously, uh, Sukaden, Breath of Fire, stuff like that. Um, so look has to be there first and foremost. It has to look as good yet uh, 30 years ago as it looks today, uh, which, which those games do. Uh, and then I think um, music is a part of it. There has to be music is so closely tied to emotion and closely tied to, I mean, increasing the drama and impressiveness of whatever you're presenting that you have to have good music. So it's it's simple stuff. It's looking good, good music. And then obviously whatever it whatever it factor it had in the beginning is still relevant years later. So like the it factor for Symphony of the Night, it's Castlevania, but you're in a huge open world castle. We have random loot drops, so the game is different every time you play it. This guy might drop this, this might drop this. There's a whole second castle that you may not even have played the first time, so there's a whole lot of stuff going on there. Um, other games that I would consider timeless, like, and here's the interesting thing about that. Could I consider Metal Gear Solid 1 timeless on PS1? I don't think so. This would be a tough, tough question to answer. Um, Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes, which was the the remake on GameCube, I would say is probably timeless because it, it, it fixed the issues with Metal Gear, which were really only thing at that time was the graphics, but, um, Metal Gear is still playable, but it, it, it doesn't hold up as well. But that, that's to me what makes a game a classic. And, and so then you think about that though, and you think, well, are any games nowadays coming out? Are they actually classics? And I think they are. I just don't think we'll realize that until you get to, you have to back away from it and you have to let time kind of stew a little bit. So like, for instance, Spider-Man was my game of the year last year am I thinking about Spider-Man like right now? Do I want to play it again? I'll probably never play it again. But in 20 years, will I go, man, Spider-Man was dope. I'm going to go back to Spider-Man. I might, I might, I might do that. Um, and I might just be like, man, when, when PS4 was hitting it, you had Spider-Man like, like, cause nowadays one of the things they talk about is, uh, like the years, like where final fantasy or final fantasy seven symphony of the night. And like all these great games came out within a year of each other. It's the same thing with, with the PlayStation exclusives right now. It's like, oh, Detroit Become Human, God of War, and Spider-Man. And technically, I mean, Days Gone isn't a masterpiece by any stretch, but Days Gone, like, you could argue that, that, like, all these games are within a year of each other. And that doesn't even count, like, the great indie stuff that Jordan's covering. That doesn't even count any of that stuff. This is just AAA that I'm talking about. So that's what I think. Uh, and then um, what are the things that make you keep coming back to those games? So I don't play a lot of games over and over, but to me, it also has to do with, uh, accessibility. 
So can I play the game on something modern without having to hook up a bunch of BS? And is it something... Is it something that I can play sh uh, in my time availability? And, and as an adult, our time to play games has changed. Uh, we don't have all day anymore. So if you don't have all day anymore, if I only have like an hour to play a retro game, can I play it and either save my spot or can I beat the game in an hour and, and, and enjoy it? Or is it one of those games where I have to like Mario 3 where, I mean, yeah, you can speed run that game, but when you're playing it and you haven't played it for a while and you're playing through all the levels like one by one, that game takes forever <laughs> and you die a lot in the water world because it sucks. Um, but yeah, so very, very good question. Thank you for the question. Um, and I did not pick up my game of the week because I'm a big, stupid, dum-dum. So let me, <laughs> you know what? I'll pick one that I just put in my collection. This one came in the store. Let me grab it. Oh, oh, fall out of my chair here. Let me, let me grab some here. Oh, that's not it. Where's the bag? Here's some bags rustling around. So, okay. <clears throat> so, uh, I picked it up. Come on over here. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Okay. So, I, I picked up recently for my collection Streets of Rage 3. Uh, we had a loose cart come in that was in great condition, and I had a box and manual in back that were in great condition. So I Frankenstein the two together. It has a registration card, which is just mm, muy bueno. And it's very nice condition. Streets of Rage. Uh, I've talked about Streets of Rage 2 before. Um, Streets of Rage 2 was the first Genesis game I ever played. It wasn't my game. I played it at a friend's house, and it changed my life at that moment. I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. Two players beat him up. It was like Battletoads or Double Dragon just looked so real though. It was so cool. So Streets of Rage 1 and 2 are, are great beat em ups. They're classic beat em ups. Streets of Rage 3 uh, is is a great continuation of that series. Uh, I don't even know how to like describe this any better than just talking you know, than just describing. It's, it's a beat em up, man. It's a classic beat em up. It's an arcade style beat em up that never went to arcades. Um, they call this game Bare Knuckle in Japan. Uh, music's outstanding. I mean, it's that crunchy, crunchy Genesis soundtrack, uh, and just graphically looked really good. Uh, um, there's, they had a two player combo attacks. You can hit people together. I don't, it just like, it was awesome. Um, and you had a kangaroo with boxing gloves as one of the fighters. I think, I think they replaced the kid in the wheelchair for, uh, of kangaroo with boxing gloves. I don't know. <laughs> So the kid wasn't in a wheelchair, he had rollerblades. I'm sorry, that was that was really stupid. I'm an idiot. Um, but anyway, Streets of Rage 3, I, I don't need to talk about this game. It's just really freaking good, so go play it. Um, it's a good beat-em-up, and this is a game that like you play through like an arcade game. You play through until you beat it. So it's not like you're going to get to the last level, die, and then be like, oh, crap, i got to start over. Like It's just it is a fun, fun, wholesome game for the whole family. Uh, maybe not, but it's still fun to play, so definitely check it out. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening and watching. Uh, we, uh, we, I don't know if I talked about this last time, but we, we, uh, we surpassed 4,500 subs. We're at 4,650 now. Uh, we had a really good, we got a really good roll. You know, like I said, five, 5k is the goal. So if you haven't, if you're listening to this on SoundCloud or iTunes and you want to subscribe on YouTube, that's really where we're trying to make a big impact. Uh, you can subscribe at youtube.com slash drop rate, uh, D R O P R A T E. Uh, if you're on Twitch and you want to watch us on Twitch, every Monday night we do live podcast. Tuesday, Jeremy does some Apex Legends streaming. And I usually throw in a retro game stream here and there. Sometimes Thursday nights I play some Heroes with my brother. Um, you can watch that on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the drop rate. Not the same as YouTube, just YouTube's drop rate. Twitch is the drop rate. And if you are watching this on YouTube or Twitch, 
I don't know how you would see us on Twitch, but I don't care. <laughs> Wherever you're seeing this, you can listen on SoundCloud or iTunes. You can subscribe on iTunes. Just go to the podcast app and look for Game Talk Radio. And then look for the little bead sprite guy wearing a Game Trade shirt. It's green warp pipes around the red logo. That's me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so next week I think we'll be back to Tuesday. I, I, I'm like, I'm ready to go back to some normalcy. Every week for, like, last month has been off and different. And, uh, and so it'll be good to, uh, it'll be good to, uh, break free of that. So thank you everybody. Get back to normal. Um, so I thank you everybody. We will talk again next week. Uh, same bat time, same bat channel. We will catch up with you later. Have a good day. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>